Welcome to Two Dudes, One Movie Podcast. The podcast where two dudes dive into cinematic masterpieces from a different decade each week. From black and white classics to modern day blockbusters, we'll be covering it all. This season, we'll be focusing on psychological thrillers. And our movie this week comes from the 1980s. It's a David Lynch classic, Blue Velvet. Rick, when we were deciding on a movie to watch for this upcoming week, our initial discussion was whether we wanted to watch this movie or The Shining. But decided to go off the beaten path since both of us had seen The Shining multiple times. Uh, after watching this movie, I can say it's not as much a psychological thriller as it is a noir mystery thriller with a poignant social commentary. But before we dive deep into all that, why don't you give our listeners a little recap of Blue Velvet? Of course. So, Park, in this thrilling thriller, we find ourselves confronted with lots of questions. The girl next door or the girl underground? Detective or pervert? Heineken or Pabst? If an ear is cut off in a forest and no one is around to hear it, was it cut off from a dead man or a living man? Not only a great song, but a timeless masterpiece in which everyone wishes they spent a little less time in the living room. So, Park, there's, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of questions to ask, I guess, from the start. Like, what do you even think this movie is about? There's a lot going on. Rick, I think you just summed it all up so well. There's so much, so much in there that you just hit perfectly. No pun intended. Ugh, I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe not. We are kind of a dicey podcast. Yeah, so what is this movie all about? Um, obviously, there is a very poignant social commentary going on underneath it. Um, what I think it's about is a commentary on suburban America and the evil that happens all around us. Uh, just... When you look at the beginning of the movie, uh, that's representation of everything you need to know from David Lynch and what he wants to say about the film. It's an attack on the divisions of America and that these dark and the dark crimes that take place everywhere. Um, just with that opening, it it starts with a beautiful, clean cut town with the white picket fences, um, cutting and dissolving with a beautiful soundtrack of blue velvet underneath. But then what happens? It goes underneath the ground, and just underneath the surface, you see this horde of disgusting bugs. And that in itself is what this movie is about. We're in this beautiful, um, clean-cut American town, but even in this clean-cut American town, there's still that, that darkness, that disgusting thing that's going on just underneath our noses as we're completely oblivious to. Um, so that is what I think this movie is about. You're, I think you're. I think you like kind of painted the picture perfectly there. I'm. I think when the movie opens, it's almost like this Hughes style '80s movie. Like it's a beautiful neighborhood. I feel like I'm watching like Sixteen Candles, but just cast it a little differently. And then like out of nowhere, with the scene that we're gonna touch lightly on in a minute, it like t- it whips you right into the underground. Like, you are taken there, and it is probably one of the tougher scenes I think I've ever sat through in any movie I've ever watched. It is it is not easy. Uh, but yeah, in the end, I feel like we're it's a line between the radical good and radical bad. That's what, I, that's what I wrote down. Rick, did you make it through this scene, or was it like last week with the sex scene? <laughs> I like would skip like 10 seconds when I knew like what was happening. <laughs> so like when I saw there was dialogue, I would like watch it. And then I would, like, skip 10 seconds, and I was like, well, I... And, like, dude, that scene, I just didn't know when it was going to end. Yeah. I feel like we're just going right into it. 
Yeah, we are. Let's just go into it. We haven't sworn down that the scene propels the movie to the level it's at for far better or worse. Uh, and it brought a lot of controversy when it was uh, when it was placed in the limelight like this. For those of you who aren't aware and haven't seen this movie, um, right after the first act of the movie, our main character Jeffrey has snuck into the apartment complex and he witnesses a horrific sexual assault um, on a character. He was also sexually assaulted too before that. Yeah, that's true. There's uh, a lot of sexual assault going on, so it's very, very grim and dark piece to look at, for sure. So it almost reminded me, and I, and I don't know, it made me, like, wonder where, like, the Peeping Tom kind of thing came into, like, cinema. Because, like, we, we watched Psycho a few weeks ago, right? And we had the main character of Psycho, we had him, like, looking at the girl through a little peephole right before she died in the shower. This one, the second we were framed in a very similar scene where he's in the closet and he's, like, peeping on the, um... Gosh, we have her name written down. Her name uh, on uh, Dorothy. I was like, okay, some, some, like some shit's going down. Like something's gonna happen here. And I was just waiting for it, and then I was just waiting for it to end. I was like, this is not gonna be good. Rick, it's like a cliche. Whenever someone's peeping on someone, something crazy is about to happen soon after. It's true. But I mean, it's just, it's a absolutely disgusting scene. Um, one of the like famed critics. So. And this is like a part to talk about the movie. The movie did not do well at the box office initially. Um, the budget, I think, was around $6 million. I think in the box office we made around 8 to $10 million. Uh, that's a, I looked this up very quickly, so those numbers could be a little off. Uh, Roger Ebert destroyed this movie and destroyed David Lynch uh, pretty much for the kind of over-sexualization of, of both girls, mainly of Dorothy, and the fact that Isabel Rosalina, who played Dorothy, she, like, she... Honestly, an amazing actress. She took this character to a, like, insane level. And then David Lynch kind of, you can say he kind of, like, poked fun. He had these kind of, like, campy th- elements in the movie. And Roger Ebert said that it's like watching someone get beat up and you're just making fun of it the whole time. Um, he even compared David Lynch to being worse than the main villain we're about to talk about, Dennis Hopper. Golly. Or Dennis Hopper's character. So there's a lot, uh, Frank is the main character, Dennis Hopper plays him. So there's a lot going on with uh, a lot of the controversy surrounding this movie and particularly that scene. Rick, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Why don't we do it? What were your goods that you're taking away from this movie? Well, I think, and I even say this about probably the movies we watched, some of the shots were absolutely stunning. I like think, even at the very beginning when we, we like were brought in suburban America, you touched on it. We're brought in suburban America, and then we, like, dive into the grass, and we, like, you dive into the bugs and everything. For, like, where you, like, compare, like, kind of, like, six, 50s and 60s movies to how they would do zoom-in shots and different things like that to this movie, it's, like, we just aged, like, 100 years in, like, <laughs> in, cin- like in cinematography, which I thought was incredible. I think it was, like, you knew what the movie was in the first scene, like, the first, like, first zoom-in where you saw suburban America and then you saw the underbelly, which at that time it was just bugs and everything. I think so many of those elements, I think, were incredible. I think the movie, the movie itself had so many scenes that were beautiful. The soundtrack was, was bop and park. Mm, yeah, it was. Yeah, we had Blue Velvet and we had Dreams, I think, was the second song. Some of the worst dancing I think I've ever seen as well. But <laughs> maybe some of the best. I guess it depends how you look at it. Oh, Rick, that is something... 
that's something we got to talk about right now before we go any further. <laughs> How about that gal who got up on the car and started busting out a move? If you were that girl, what move would you bust out on top of that car? So I'm, yeah, so I'm in the car. Frank, the villain, is beating the crap out of the main character. But my bop comes on, Park. It, the sound, the, I'm turning up the radio. I'm standing on that car. Rick, it, it doesn't matter. That's another good thing, yeah. What, what is the bop that comes on that gets you to get on top of the car while someone's getting assaulted right outside and dance? <laughs> <laughs> and what? then, what dance move are you doing? Well, I don't feel like Party in the USA would weirdly fit that. <laughs> it's like you're in, you're standing on top of the car. And that song comes on. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a party in the USA. Because you're still showing, you're showing two versions of America. America's we're all partying, Park. But then you just turn the camera over, someone's getting crappy out of them. Rick, are you a world class Amer- uh, director now? I think I am. <laughs> I, I, I said, are you a world class American? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I would say I'm a world class American, but I think I am a world. I think we're we're on our way to be, and we'll be the next Cohen Brothers, Park. Oh, Rick! I can get behind that. Yeah, I don't know what. I don't even know what. Our, what would our name be? It has um, to be. It has to flow like the Cohen brothers. The Bowen brothers. That we we just completely rip off. <laughs> <laughs> it has nothing to do with our names. <laughs> no, not at all. We're just think, one. We're one letter ahead of them. So could the you Bowen imagine brothers. like a serious like crime thriller, and at the end of the trailer, it just says Dick and Bonner, a Dick and Bonner film. <laughs> That would be amazing, <laughs> Rick. The potential, the marketing we have with our last names. It's so endless. much, so much marketing power. It's, it could go a long way. It could go a long way, Rick. Every single trailer paints every film we do as a comedy, but we just never do comedies. <laughs> you know, I think there's laws now where if your trailer doesn't depict your movie accurately, you can get sued. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, I think I read something about that, like with an Avengers, because like Marvel likes to um, like edit out characters and stuff and kind of make their trailers uh, look sense. one way um, that someone went to court about it and was like, they're selling something that I was not promised. So I, I think there's actually a law against like misleading trailers now. Which I just had the thought, when I was talking about trailers, right before we pop back into the movie, do you think that trailers to a degree are kind of killing the movie experience with how much they show these days? 100%. Some of the best movie theater experiences I had this year was going into a theater and not like knowing anything about the movie. Not to say yeah, that it's always the best. There were some that I that I did see the trailer and I was highly anticipating and I still really enjoyed them. But the first movie that comes to my mind from this past year is The Menu. Didn't didn't see like anything about that movie, but my wife and I, we have Regal Unlimited, so we go to the movies all the time. And we'll go see things that we probably would, wouldn't pay the extra money for just because movies are expensive nowadays. But we have that luxury and that opportunity to go see things because of our past. And so we went and saw that. Didn't know too much about it. And we walked out and we're like, that was awesome. It was both in like our top ten movies of this past year. Um, and I'm so glad I didn't know anything because I thought going into it that... It was going to be like a murder mystery type of thing and it totally like was not it was much more of a thriller to an extent a psychological thriller as well so it was yeah at least um, for the guests there that'll be an interesting when we get to uh where we are in like the we're in the early like 2020s now so there's only like three years of movies to choose from I who know. knows maybe maybe that'll be at the at the end of the season you never know mindy was an amazing movie that that was that might have been my favorite movie this year but i think um 
I think it's the same reason. It's like, I, I think I saw a teaser of it. And I knew the main, like, villain played Voldemort. And I was like, hey, this is going to be awesome. He's gonna, he's another villain. Voldemort in the kitchen. So, speaking of villains, just since our little tangent, we were talking about some of these villains. We really, really, really need to hit on Frank's character. Mm. Uh, so, also, we'll touch on your good, too. I think right before that and maybe with that, because Frank's character is the ultimate villain. So, just, yes. I guess, tell me about him. Tell, what do you think about Frank? Frank is the worst person in the world, and I would not want to hang out with him at all but he is part of my good from this movie he is such an unredeemable such a diabolical character that you just hate to your core and i think that's what a great villain is supposed to do and supposed to be um and he's also a lot of people agree with me on that he's on a list for the top 50 villains in cinematic history so frank can't stand that guy terrible terrible person hate frank and it's just like you're every time he's on screen i'm like cringing like what what the hell is about to happen like i was like i was scared i was like what is gonna happen it's his unpredictability too uh in a lot of ways and you know what what i bet a movie that took inspiration from frank's character would be 2019's the joker with joaquin phoenix I you can, can see, see a lot of that unpredictability of Frank's character placed into the Joker character um, where you're just sitting there and you're like, I don't know what he's going to do next. And that's scary. Without a doubt. Cause he like, in the end it's like, he was definitely dangerous cause he did some wild violent acts in this movie and everything like that. But it wasn't even that he was going to do something super dangerous. It was that I have no idea what he's going to do. <laughs> and like, he could be doing something insanely vile. I do not want to see. So it was crazy, but Jumping off of that, you said it was part of your good park. Yeah. So tell me, what else, what else you got? Laura Dern. That's all I have in my notes. Just right there is for one line is Laura Dern. Actually, I actually just wrote that every time I had a thought of a note. That's the only thing I could like, <laughs> type out thing. was Laura Dern. Our whole page of notes is actually just Laura Dern, Laura Dern, Laura Dern, Laura Dern. So <laughs> That's the little script we're reading off of right now. I know. When we play this back later, I think all we're going to hear is Laura Dern coming out of our mouths. You probably Anyways, she was great. Um, it was so interesting to see her so young. I mean, yeah. not to say that Laura Dern doesn't look great nowadays, but it's just so interesting to grow up and see an actor at an older age and then to go back and watch them at like a younger age. It's just a very interesting experience. Again, getting back to the good and some serious things. Uh, the setup of the movie I thought was really well done. Obviously, that intro that we talked about, which kind of explains what David Lynch is trying to say in a nutshell with the suburban America and the bugs, is great, fantastic. And then even the setup of the actual movie and finding this ear in the woods, that's kind of just an interesting premise to start a movie off of. So I really, really was intrigued by the first act of the movie. Um, the overall message was phenomenal. Uh, was very poignant and last but not least for me the juxtaposition and dichotomy of suburban America and the crime realm of our country uh, and that goes back to everything that I've just been saying about the intro and the music and cutting from a nice suburban household to a dark grungy apartment cutting from a nice bright diner on the corner of the downtown street to a nightclub that's got a dirt parking lot 
just these juxtapositions that are going back back and forth and this imagery um, that you're seeing I think is really well done so th- those are my goods some of my goods from Blue Velvet Park you, just, you bring in every podcast these big words and I'm always so impressed I wonder if you like practice saying them before Rick I just look in a mirror and I say juxtaposition juxtaposition <laughs> Well, you know, Rick, I did pretty good on my SATs and my ACTs. Got me into community college, so. Community college. Santa Fe for life. (laughs) Santa Fe. Go Saints, baby. Go Go Saints. Go (laughs) Saints. So, Rick, we talked about our good. What about our bad? What was bad from this movie? It's hard, right? So, I think that they're... You can say there's a lot bad with this movie, or you can say there's almost nothing bad with this movie, depending on the viewer. I immediately walked away from this movie saying, I think this is one of the worst movies that we've watched so far, which we'll get into this later. I do not think that's the case anymore. Uh, So in the end, what's bad about this movie? Um, Honestly, I wish Laura Dern's character had more growth. She did a lot of things where she just wasn't thinking. And I think she was also kind of, like, consumed by this feeling that she was, like, so... She was, like, the classic 80s girl that was, like, girl next door, completely in love and obsessed with our main character. Yep. I like the little tidbit I found that out. So the main character is Kyle... Uh, it's, his name's Jeffrey. Kyle McLaughlin. Mm-hmm. Only thing I knew about Kyle McLaughlin right off the bat is he plays uh, the captain in How I Met Your Mother, which is, like, one of my favorite... Uh, television series of all time. Um, no, no, nothing else about Kyle McLaughlin. Did a, he did great in this movie, but uh, but he peaked. He peaked in How I Met Your Mother. He did, he definitely peaked. So I think it definitely got to like going back to even the questions though that I was saying. Like it really does. Like I, I, there are all these questions and divisions, and I made fun of it in the recap. Like the girl next door, the girl undergrounds. There's these two completely separate worlds. I think that using like women particularly to tell you about these type of worlds, I didn't love. I think Lynch over-sexualized women a lot in this movie to get his point across. Um, that's where I understand a lot of the controversy, and I can see that. And obviously, it's up to interpretation. Like, this movie, it's art, right? Movies in general are art. This movie is a painting, like, just as we're watching other movies. So maybe someone else is going to watch it differently. Um, I didn't love that. I did not like that it used how the world sexualizes women to kind of display the good of America and the bad of America a bit. And there's a sense of where it can say really good things about that, whereas David Lynch did not say good things about that. He kind of just like played off as a joke and went right back into his kind of crime thriller thriller mystery. I think I want to echo off those sentiments that you were saying. I think that the female, the two female characters in this movie aren't given substantial arcs they're almost like damsels in distress in two different ways. Yes. And David Lynch doesn't give them enough autonomy, enough independence to be able to fend for themselves. It's all about Jeffrey coming in and saving these women in ways. And it's all about Jeffrey and his story and his having this kind of savior complex. And I think it does a disservice to women like Dorothy who are placed in these terrible situations and the, the strength and... Um, vulnerability and the courage they have to continue to press forward and it doesn't take that in Isabella Rosalini really gives it her all in this performance and you can just feel her performance but again she ends up at the end just 
running to Jeffrey trying to find solace and having him solve all the problems at the end of the day. And I don't don't love that per se. Um, so that's uh, a big bad for me. I also just like didn't buy into the relationships that Jeffrey was having with either of the women. Uh, I just felt like they were they were rushed. It felt like like a like like a middle schooler falling in love or something like that. Like the Laura Dern Jeffrey love story really felt rushed. I was like, why do they love each other? I don't feel that at all. The Dorothy one and, and Dorothy and Jeffrey had a little more complexities to it. But again, I was like, why is he going to bed with this woman like right after she stuck a knife in his face? It was just kind of like I didn't get behind it. I wasn't feeling what I guess David Lynch wanted us to feel or maybe that is what he wanted us to feel. I just but I wasn't buying into those relationships. And then also Jeffrey as a character, I just to me, he's kind of unlikable. He's not that great of a guy. He's playing to women in a way he's kind of obsessive about figuring out a mystery and you know going into an environment that he really has no business in being in um and sure he kind of resolves his he's the catalyst to resolving a lot of problems um that are going on and reuniting dorothy with her son and uh, all of that but just overall he just you're introduced to him he's kind of like nosy he's kind of playing around with two different women he's sneaking around apartments and like watching people through closets and it's like who is this guy what is he what is he all about so i don't like jeffrey's character i don't like his arc mainly because i think he's like a frank wannabe in a way in the scene when he's a peeping tom and he's like watching all this stuff happens even before that when this stuff happens to him like it's like i feel like he's curious about it to the point where he's like oh do i enjoy this do I like want? Do I like? I want to dive in more. I want to dive in deeper. I want to see like what is. I don't know. And I, and so much of that was he was he was towing the line, right? He was towing the line between the good and the bad. I feel like he wanted to run into that bad head first, but his morals were always trying to pull him back. Well, it's him being born and raised on the one side of the world, and then finding almost like the drug of the other side of the world, and having yeah. this draw to it, and it it kind of. A good example and a good analogy or a good analogy to it is he is kind of like a drug addict in that sense of he wants a little bit more he wants more he wants more just going to the apartment and seeing where this woman was wasn't enough now he's got to sneak into her apartment and then and see what he can find in a couple minutes by creating a distraction and then that's not enough she finds the key to go back and he wants to really go in there and and sneak in and stuff it just became like this gradual or rapid progression of him diving into this world more and more. Definitely. I know we have to talk about uglies and this is actually kind of part of my ugly in a way. Uh, Rick, who in the world who sneaks around in someone else's apartment decides to take a leak in their apartment (laughs) and also how loud of a leak does that have to be to not be able to hear four consecutive car horns to warn you, Rick? That the people are coming back. I love, like, Jeffrey talked about Heineken so much in this movie. And that was one of the moments, too. He, like, was talking to himself. At, he was, like, peeing. And he was like, oh, that Heineken got to me. <laughs> it really makes me wonder <laughs> if there was some type of deal with Heineken or something. They showed Heineken so much in this movie. <laughs> at first, I thought there was. But then there's, like, a line where 
he Jeffrey says, I love Heineken. Like, okay, well, that's very, like, product placement-y. But then uh, Laura Dern's character's like, yeah, my dad likes Bud. And he's like, oh, Bud, the king of beers. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, my guy. Park, just you wait. We're going to dive in the food review. Oh, Rick. We're going to attach these, we're going to attach meaning to these beers, Park. I love it. Uh, before we get to that, though, let me let me just state my my real one main ugly, and that is the scene, the scene that um, everyone talks about with this movie. It seems like every movie we do we've we've done on this podcast has that scene, um, and just I understand the importance of it. I understand its representation, and as someone who wants to write and direct, I don't think. As an artist, you should compromise your vision and what you want to share and tell and be afraid to go to those places. But as a viewer of the material, it was not something I enjoyed watching or even like wanted to tolerate. It was just a very unsettling probably 10 minutes of the film that I was like, all right, we can just, you know, move, move along. I get the point. I get what you're trying to do here, trying to show, trying to say, but I'm I'm ready to move on, and that to me just is my ugly. Yeah, I'm with you in the scene. I think that's so much of the ugly, and I do think you're right. You do not want to compromise your artistic vision. I guess my issue with the scene in particular, of course, is difficult to watch. I never want to watch that scene again, and I even think like to viewers or listeners that like. Are thinking about watching this movie and like we'll talk about it later you just like almost like you gotta prepare like if you are really if you want to watch it you gotta really prepare for the scene we there's a reason why we touched on it very lightly we did not want to go into super deep detail um my biggest issue is that just i think isabel rosalini she went for it she went all the way she was an incredible actor like she is an incredible actress in this movie she it kind of affected her career a lot. So she she like she went for it of all the visions that probably David Lynch was saying, like, hey, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. She did it. David Lynch felt like he was half-heartedly with her, right? I think Roger uh, Ebert's review is a little unfair. Um, I don't think it should be one star. Uh, I agree with him that I don't think uh, the character there, like, was done justice. Um, Isabella Rosalina, so she lost her agency. They had a private private screening, so I think her management agency and some other deals they had, they had a private screening for all of them, and they uh, walked out halfway through the movie right after that scene and didn't want to work with her anymore. She said in an interview that uh, she grew up going to Catholic school, and after this movie was released, uh, she got like daily calls from nuns from her school saying that they're going to pray for her. Oh, no. So I don't know if it defected her career. I never went through the kind of like filmography of her... Um, of course, we know, like, the other kind of, like, I guess the other, like, girl in this movie, like, Laura Dern, like, her career, like, is absolutely, like, incredible in Hollywood, and she's involved in all these super important movies. So I don't know if there was, like, a, if there is anything with that. Maybe there is, maybe there's not. Maybe as well, Rosalina was in a lot of stuff that I just didn't know about. But yeah, do not think it did her justice. I guess that's my main ugly. Totally. Rick, it's your quick food review. Part for the food review. We have the main character's beverage of choice. None other than Heineken, right? Product placement, Heineken. All I could find was one and a half liter bottle. This thing is huge. But Park, we gotta, we gotta see, we gotta taste. I need to put the mic up here. We gotta do a little, what, like ASMR for the listeners. Ooh. Ooh, that was good. 
That was a good one. Not much of a bottle drinker, so we'll do a little pour in here. You're not a Jeffrey, Rick. This is a bad pour. So my... <laughs> oh, wait, no. We got a little body in there. A little bit. Not the best pour, not the worst. Not, not the best pour. So, what I like to think, there's, there's three beers in this movie. Right? You can sum this movie in three beers. We have Heineken, Bud Light, and PBR Park. Mm. I think these are... Are these the only beers you need in life? Maybe. We have Jeffrey. Off to college, came back. New life, he's growing his minds. He has this incredible beer, Heineken, right? Across mm-hmm. the world, it's European. And then kind of in, where are we from in Heineken? We're Amsterdam, right? So he's just... He's living life, drinking Heineken. It's what he wants. It's all he wants. Then... We'll do the Heineken. We'll do a little taste here. How is it, Rick? You know Heineken Park. It kind of smells like weed a little bit, and tastes <laughs> like piss. But we drink it. That must be why he, as the college kid, likes that beer. It's true. So then we have the dad, right? We had dad. Dads love buds, Park. They love calling people bud. They I love, love calling bud light. people bud. That is my yeah. I can see that, Rick. And Bud Light, I mean, it's just it's a per, it's a cheap, cheap six pack. You sit on the recliner, you watch a game, you just popping buds back. Feels like you're just drinking water. And now, Park, now we're gonna get we're gonna get dicey here. I I said that Frank and his crew are the evil gangbangers, and they absolutely love PBR Park. Rick, what does that say about PBR drinkers? You know who else loves PBR Park? Frat boys. So. <laughs> It's Frank and his character, just a bunch of frat boys, drinking PBR, taking advantage. I don't know. Dicey Rick. joke. Sorry if anyone wasn't a frat around here. So dicey. Hey, but that's what we're all about here on this podcast. We, we are edgy individuals, if you know what I'm saying. So those are the lines. We have, for some reason, we have Heineken and Bud Light as the beer of suburban America. Bud Light, probably. We have PBR. Uh, PBR is for the frat boys. You know? Well, thank you so much for that wonderful beer synopsis. Mark, I live in Asheville. This is the, the city of beer. This is your alley right here, right? I had to give you the, the synopsis of, of what beer meant in this film. I love that. I feel like I know everything about beer now. I feel like I could go anywhere and be like, pour me a tall one of your most exotic beer. They would, they would pour Heineken right there. It's like, oh, this is, a, this is definitely a Heineken man. <laughs> Heineken, Bud Light, and PBR, the beer, the beers of America, as everyone Rick, says, right? Can I say, when I first started drinking beer, I actually preferred PBR more than anything else, and now I think I'm on the, the total opposite spectrum where I am on the Heineken side of things, between those three beers. Nowadays, Guinness is probably my preferred beer of choice, but you know, it's all in that, it's all over there in that European world, right? Yeah, Heineken, yeah. Guinness... I'm a blue moon type of man myself nowadays. Hey, we're a step up from Bud Light PBR Park. So we are, we'll we are civilized men, Rick. So, Rick, like every week on our podcast, we always try and do something fun together so that we can enjoy the other 30 minutes that are awful. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going <laughs> to... We're going to... Uh, we're going to do a quiz, Rick. Um, and in the past, we've done what character quiz or what character type of quizzes. Um, I'd be scared if we did that this time. <laughs> we're not doing that this time. But what we are doing 
is we're doing a quiz based off of our favorite character of this movie. Maybe our favorite character of life, Laura Dern. Laura Dern. Laura Dern. And the quiz is, Rick, which Laura Dern character matches your personality? Dude, I am so freaking pumped. Rick, I'm so excited. To see, like, what, like, what Laura, like, Laura Dern's amazing. What Laura Dern am I? I don't know, Rick. I, could, I cannot wait to know what Laura Dern you are. This is the Derndest thing, Fork. Ooh, that was bad. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. I had to do it, though. That was good. Ooh, Rick. Get your, bud, get your buds out. You're, you're joining the bud group after that one. I know. I, have to, I, just, I just went down a level from college <laughs> to, to bud. All right. All right, Fork, give us the first question. Rick, pick a word to describe yourself. Giving, competitive, mysterious, leader. You know, competitive. I'm going to go with competitive, too. All right, pick a Laura Dern Oscar competitor. Kathy Bates, Scarlett Johansson, Florence Pugh, or Margot Robbie? I'm going to go go Florence. I'm going to go with Kathy Bates only because I've worked with Kathy Bates and she's a really sweet lady. Pick a Hogwarts house. Gryffindor. Ravenclaw. Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff. Slytherin. I don't know why I did that in all those different voices, but <laughs> which one? I, think Rick? You, I feel like you need to like. I like Hufflepuff. I'm gonna go Hufflepuff. I think you should be like with the official like Potterhead fandom groups. You should like record that song. Hufflepuff. 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 You're right. Go Hufflepuff. You're... I'm a Hufflepuff man. <laughs> You're Hufflepuff. All right, I'm going with uh, Gryffindor because I'm basic. Hufflepuff is like actually my like on the Pottermore quiz on the app. Hufflepuff is like my actual house. Last time I did it, which was in college, college, I did get Gryffindor, and my my spirit charm animal thing was a monkey, was a spider monkey, which is my favorite animal, monkeys. So it it was like divine intervention. Okay, Park, pick a dinosaur: T. Rex, Bronchiosaurus. Raptor, pterodactyl. You know that game, Rick? That game that you played in the on the bus when you were a kid and you would say pterodactyl without showing your teeth? I do not, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> you don't know that game? I do not know Who that I, game. Does anyone else out there know what game I'm talking about? I just played the penis game, how you're in like a crowded area and you just yell penis. Uh, you're such a civilized man, Rick. So, I know, I am. That's why, that's why I'm drinking Heineken Park. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to go with Pterodactyl, Rick. I don't know. I don't know about you. Um, oh, I don't want to be basic. And I feel like both T-Rex and Raptor are basic. I'll go Bronchiosaurus. Rick, I should... What am I doing? I'm I'm such a long neck individual. I should have gone with Bronchiosaurus. Oh, it sucks, Bark. I already took him. All right, whatever. Oh, my, this might be my favorite question. Let's do it. Pick a Disney princess. Belle, Pocahontas, Mulan, Elsa. I need to think of, you go first. I need to think about this for a second. Well, I think I need to base it off of which song that they sing I could sing the best. And I think it's either Let It Go or Colors of the Wind. So, Rick, I'm going to give you a little snippet of both of those, and you can help me decide which one I am. Give it to me. <laughs> Have you ever seen the... <laughs> The mountains. Have you for. ever blown through the wind? <laughs> oh my gosh. Twinkle, 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 twinkle. Let it go, let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. So, which one am I, Rick? I like the colors of the wind. 
<laughs> I do too. <laughs> Sorry to everyone who's actually listening our pod at our our podcast right now because uh, blew out their like. Car I radio. probably I probably just blew out their speakers, but or your ears. But it was blown out for a good cause. Yeah, if you lost your hearing right there, I mean, you should be lucky that the last thing you heard was that. <laughs> no. Well, Parker, I'm going to go with the song that probably sticks in my head the most out of all these movies, which is I'll Make a Man Out of You. Ooh. So go Frank, that's a good one. Pick a quote. It's f***ed up, but that's the way it is. I will not be rich. Girls have to go out into the world and make up their own minds about things. My attitude is none of your f***ing business. Without a doubt, I'm choosing my attitude is none of your f***ing business, Park. (laughs) As a filmmaker, nothing speaks to me more than I will not be rich. (laughs) Rick, pick a Marvel hero. Captain Marvel, Valkyrie, Scarlet Witch, Gamora. I absolutely despise this category, Park. You know why? (laughs) Because you hate Marvel movies. Do not like Marvel movies, Park. Rick, if you had to choose one, though, who are you choosing? Oh, I feel like I need to go with the one that has, like, probably the best character arc. The one that, probably the only character arc that's not insanely weak, which is Scarlet Witch. I'm going with you, too. Scarlet Witch it is for me. Pick an Oscar-snubbed actor. Lupita, Jennifer Lopez, uh, Adam Sandler, or Aquafina. Okay, so I'm going to go... I was leaning towards Adam Sandler. I'm going to go Aquafina. I've seen Aquafina in probably a lot of things over the past few years. She's legit. Like, she is a legit, legit. I think she's, she's mainly been, like, supporting cast. Um, I don't know what movie this little, like, picture we're seeing is from. It's, um, I think Aquafina's going to win an Oscar one day, so I'm going to do her. Yeah, it's from her A24 movie. I forget what it's called, but she goes over to China and has, like, a fake wedding with... Oh, uh, so. okay. I, I, I know what that, that is. Either way, go on Aquafina. I think I'm she's going to win an Oscar one day. Adam Sandler for Uncut Gems. Um, great performance in that movie. Finally, pick a Baby Yoda, Rick. Do the one where he's like holding a little, he's like holding his cup. Okay, yeah. yeah for our people, obviously no one can see what we're looking at. So we, our first option is little Baby Yoda with his eyes squinting and he's got his hands out like he's using the force. Our second one is the picture of Baby Yoda holding the cup. Uh, the third one is Baby Yoda reaching out like he's reaching up to Mando. And the fourth one is Baby Yoda riding on a speeder with his mouth wide open, so excited. I think I'm going to do the, the happy face, the fourth one. That's me. Okay, it's a good one. All right, Rick. Here we go. Rick, uh, who did you get? <laughs> I got um, North Fanshawe. I'm pretty sure she's the... Uh... She's in Marriage Story. Rick, I got Nora Fanshawe. You got Nora Fanshawe too? <laughs> yeah, she's, the, she's Scarlett Johansson's lawyer in the movie. Okay, so she's um, a lawyer. I didn't know she's a lawyer or therapist. Yeah, she's, she's one of the, the divorced uh, attorneys that is a really terrible character, honestly. Park, I... Would you say I'm this I, I'm this ideals? I am a champion of women. I'm amazing at my job. And I'm stylish AF. Rick, I would say you are stylish AF. With that hat... You never know what type of hat you're going to come in with, but every week, Rick, you got on a hat, and it's it's good. Stylish AF. It's a, it's a stylish AF hat. Uh, Rick, would you consider me a champion of women, amazing at my job, and stylish AF? You know, Parker, we're both white guys on a podcast. It's hard for me to call, I don't think I can call you a champion of women. I think you're amazing at your job, though. I'll give you that. Oh, well, thank you. 
What about stylish? Park sometimes. <laughs> All right, Rick, we're coming to the end of our podcast now. Uh, and at the end of every podcast, we give a pass or recommend. I'm really interested to hear what yours is going to be because when we first finished this movie and we're texting about it, I was certain that it was going to be a recommend. But the more you've talked about it this podcast, I'm wondering if maybe you flipped on that. So, Rick, are you passing or recommending Blue Velvet to our audience? This has been the hardest for me. Um, I feel like I've passed. So I passed the last one we watched. And I feel like I generally will pass the movies that I think is like, it's just, hey, look at me. I'm art. And like, that's, that's the only thing that they're saying in the movie. And I, cause I don't love that. I like, I want the movie to be deeper. I want it in a way that like, I can go to, I want it to be a popcorn movie as much as an art movie as possible, you know? So that being said, I was really going to pass this, I think up until two or three hours ago. Wow. Until I was like thinking about it. I was really thinking about it. And I was even thinking about the later half of the movie, like even like probably acts like two and three and how it closed and how it opens. I think this movie is one of the best shot movies we've watched so far. Um, I it's so tough. I feel like I'm still struggling with it now. I I think there is some problematic problematic elements. I think that there is discussions. I think this I think this movie could prompt a lot of discussions uh, about a lot of different things. I'm gonna go recommend <laughs> just because I think that like if this kind of embodies to me like a cult classic movie. Um, this kind of is movie has a similar, if you watch Twin Peaks, uh, that's one of the people claim that's one of the greatest shows of all time. It's, I think it's uh, in similar styles of that. Uh, obviously there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens in this movie. A lot of stuff I never actually, I don't actually plan. I'm saying this, but I do not actually ever plan on watching this movie ever again, but I'm going to recommend <laughs> it. That's where I'm at. It's so hard. I feel like it. I feel like there's so much That's there. That's fair, though, to, to recommend it as like a one-time viewing experience. Yeah. Something to to watch once. Because not everything has great rewatchability value, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't deserve to be seen. And I do want to say, and like I do think the flag needs to point out, that the scene is hard to watch, and it is ugly, and it is disturbing. It's the worst thing. that It's one of the worst probably moments that I think I've ever seen in a in a movie because it's it's a lot so i so i think it comes with that stipulation that's why i'm never gonna watch this movie again it's it's hard um but yeah park how about you you know i am actually gonna give my first pass of this of the season of the podcast right now on this one uh just at the end of the day it's just not my cup of tea um i don't mind dark stories i don't mind dark a dark tone but it gets to a certain threshold and a certain level that i just don't have any enjoyment in the viewing process anymore and that happened with uh with this movie and so as much of a classic a cult classic that it has become um how beloved it is by uh various cinema communities nowadays for myself personally i'm gonna pass on this movie. Mark, what are we talking about next? Rick, next week we will be talking about Fight Club. So we're in the 1990s. We've been slowly making our way to modern day and we are uh, going to talk about a true classic that I haven't seen in a few years now and I think you're in the same boat as well. Yeah, so I even texted you, Parker, 
right after I watched this scene in this movie, I was like, Park, we need to pick a movie that is nothing like this. And the way of that, like, I don't want to have these insane, like, sexually abusive themes or, like, elements. Like, I don't want, I just, I, I can't do it. Um, yeah. Fight Club, so I'm glad we landed on Fight Club. I think Fight Club, we're right in the middle of kind of our experience right now, right? We're in the 90s. I think Fight Club is like an incredible jump to the 90s as we kind of get into more modern times. Totally. I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more, Rick. So looking forward to that and looking forward to talking about it with all of you all next week. This has been Two Dudes, One Movie Podcast, the podcast where two dudes dive into cinematic masterpieces from a different decade each week. From black and white classics to modern day blockbusters, we'll be covering it all. Thank you so much for tuning in, for listening to us, and we uh, can't wait to talk about more movies next week. Cheers. Two Dudes, One Movie is an independently created podcast. Like, rate, follow, and subscribe wherever you listen. You can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube, where we will post full video recordings of each episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Two Dudes, One Movie Podcast. Thanks for watching.